Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Laurie Schuster, Editor-in-Chief of SWE Magazine, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. We are live at WE23 in the Diverse podcast studio, and it is an absolute honor to welcome Dr. Marenke Giwa Onaiwu to the show today. Marenke is a global activist, scholar, author, and community leader who is passionate about human rights, justice, and inclusion. She is an American educator, author, and autism and HIV advocate who is involved in various social justice advocacy endeavors, which I'm excited to hear more about today. Welcome to Diverse, Marina Kay. I can't wait to dive into your story and talk about the ways that our listeners can help advance diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in their own communities. Thank you, Lori. I'm excited to be here. You have been a fervent advocate for the neurodiverse community, the HIV community, and so many others. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and share about what drives this commitment that you have to social justice? Yes, but the first thing I'm going to do is annoy you <laughs> um, because it's the neurodiverse community, but also the neurodivergent community, I suppose, um, because in terms of it's not that neurodiverse is incorrect because all humans are neurodiverse. You know, we all have different brains, different types of neurology, but because neural minorities who, you know, differ from what's neurotypical are more marginalized. That's kind of what, where I focus more. So I just wanted to be more, more you know, truthful. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. But um, yes, yeah, so I'm Marina Kay. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I live in the United States. My parents are immigrants to the U.S. and hence my name. It means cherished one. And um, I think I kind of feel like I might have been kind of born to do this, really. I, I've always had this kind of leaning toward like, you know, like social justice and you know, the underdog and, you know, like my brothers used to tease me because I would like feel sad if, if a team lost, if I was watching something, even if it wasn't my team and you know, stuff like that. But I think that, um, so I think inherently a lot of humans, I think that, that there's, there's something about us that, you know, for whatever, in whatever way that's natural to us, wants to give back or be involved in some way, it looks different for everyone. But for me, I think I've spent so many years of my life, starting from my youth, feeling other, feeling different that, you know, and at one point just really feeling overwhelmed with frustration and helplessness and anger. And um, fortunately, you know, that's where advocacy comes in, you know, like, um, you know, the late senator uh, says about, you know, good trouble. You know, we can find ways to make change and shake things up. And for me, wanting a better world for my kids to grow up in, for their kids and you know, just knowing the potential, what things could be, that it keeps me going. I, I just know the future can be better than the now. That's great. One of the things you've shared in your work is that you are part of the autistic community. Can you tell us what you've seen that's changed for the better and or for the worse when it comes to support and inclusion for people with autism and neurodivergencies over your lifetime? Yes. So things have changed a lot. Um, some for the best, better, some not. And <laughs> I think one, one thing that I think has definitely changed more is that there's still a stigma, but it, it seems to have evolved or it's different. 
Um, whereas before, you know, I think it's kind of like people were almost closeted, you know, in terms of um, neurodivergence. I think there's more, a greater understanding that, you know, brains are unique, brains are different. And there are more supports over the lifespan, though certainly not enough. And so that is something that's important to me, I think, is being able to have, you know, there's a, a narrative that has developed, you know, of people sharing their own experiences and, you know, talking about the totality of our lives. We're not just this, you know, some of these are, of our parts or these negative things or these deficits. There's, you know, positives and negatives to who we are. And so this kind of sense of moving away from awareness to acceptance, which is more proactive. But for the worse, I think that, unfortunately, there's still a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstanding. Um, there's still a lot of problems. Like, there's still a number of people who are in the prison system right now, you know, or, you know, who, because of, you know, unaddressed needs and issues with their, you know, neurology. Um, I still feel like, you know, unfortunately, the our lifespan is very short. You know, autistic people, we don't live as long as other people. We have a lot of co-occurring um, health conditions. We have um, low rates of home ownership, educational attainment, you know, economic stability, a, a number of things. We have high rates of um, experiencing trauma and abuse and sexual assault. Those things haven't changed. I think that um, they've just shifted now, and that is something that concerns me. Sounds like there's a lot of work to be done. Are there opportunities in which the workplace could make a difference in becoming more accessible to people with differing abilities? OMG, yes, <laughs> there totally is. Especially since so many people spend so much of their day, you know, so much of your life, you know, involved in some type of work. And so, you know, any changes that can be made, you know, such as, you know, allowing a person to have flexibility in their schedule, um, allowing for there to be like multi-modal ways of communicating and learning, um, sharing things explicitly, um, giving people time, you know, to understand, um, um, you know, maybe having, I think like the concept of universal design helps everyone, but it especially helps those of us who are neurodivergent in terms of accessibility. I and mean, not having to, you know, wear, fancy clothes that are very uncomfortable for you sensory-wise, or to have to have a, a cubicle right by the air conditioner, you know, or the buzzing clock, you know, or, right. um, you know, things of that nature, or being able to, you know, maybe when you're in a place where you're really hyper-focused and doing well, put in a lot of work, and then maybe another time when you're struggling and, you know, having some inertia, you know, having that, you know, your progress carry over, you know, those are all, these are all things that can be done. You know, the workplace can be, can really, you know, make a person feel like they have a place to be, like they belong, like they are contributing and like they're not, you know, this waste, you know. So I, I really encourage people in whatever small ways they can to try to increase accessibility in the workplace. It, it helps us all really. Sounds like flexibility is really a key. Yes. You're the founder of the nonprofit Advocacy Without Borders, and on the organization's website, it says, our goal is to encourage all people to make a difference regardless of their differences, which is such a powerful statement. What efforts has the organization engaged in thus far, and what have you been most proud of? And thank you. So yes, Advocacy Without Borders is my baby. I actually launched it on my birthday some years ago, and the reason why is because I feel like everyone has an inner advocate. You know, some people, they're like, well, I don't feel comfortable, you know, getting on a stage or I'm not into policy, you know, to where I can go speak to my legislator or I'm not this. Like everyone is looking about what they're not. 
But what about what you are? We all have some kind of sphere of influence. We all can, in some way, uh, communicate something that's of importance to others. You know, we can be, you know, represent, provide visibility or, you know, encouragement or, or something. And so whoever it is that you don't have to have a certain amount of degrees behind your name or the ability to speak or a certain cognitive ability. And so that's something that's really that I'm proud of. Like, so our organization, um, we employ interns, you know, like each year we have students with disabilities. And that's something that I'm very proud of that we've been able to accommodate though. These are the students who often don't get selected for these types of things. And so, and, and those are the students that we seek out. And so uh, that is something I'm very proud of. Um, another thing I'm proud of is our um, participatory research work. We've done a, a great deal of that um, in collaboration with a lot of entities. And I think that's something that's so important having to, you know, being able to amplify the community voice and have meaningful community leadership and inclusion in research and practice. So that is also something that means a great deal to me. That's terrific. There's a lot to be proud of there. You've also been a speaker in the White House and at the United Nations headquarters. Do you feel there are any changes at the government level that would move the needle so that people of all backgrounds and abilities can more fully experience a sense of inclusion and belonging? So since we don't have a magic wand, <laughs> um, some of the things, there are some things that I do see that are happening. There are people who are really trying to work together, you know, across, you know, like kind of break these silos and work together um, to make changes. So, you know, recently that, you know, people with disabilities has been designated as a group, you know, federally that has, you know, high support needs and that's really important. I'm grateful to see some, and, you know, efforts with, you know, different departments from the National Institutes of Health to the Department of Education, Department of Labor, trying to make these changes. But I think that there's still a lot of ableism in society in general and including in the workplace. And, you know, one of my heroes is Tammy Duckworth, you know, um, being such a strong, you know, visible disabled woman, you know, of color and mother in the government. Ayanna Presley is another, you know, and I just really hope that we, the government, you know, can lead the charge and be a model for the things that we need to do that we all need to do in terms of increasing a sense of inclusion and belonging and really making these things not, you know, philosophies or theories that are just kind of pretty sounding, but practical realities. That makes sense. What is the best piece of advice that you have either given or received? I think the best piece of advice that I received is um, tomorrow is a new day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I've always been like a perfectionist and I'm really hard on myself. And so like, you know, trying to find like the millions of ways you could have said something better or written something better or addressed something better and going through all these things and kind of, you know, like, you know, and just realizing like someone told me, you know, that it's not, you're still here. There's still a chance. Hmm. It doesn't have to end here. You know, you can try to improve. You can always build as long as you've got life, you know, life to live. That's great. All this, and we didn't even mention that you're a prolific writer. You have served on the boards of numerous organizations. You are a humanities scholar at Rice University, as well as a proud mother to six children. What is your secret to balancing it all? I don't sleep. No, <laughs> um, sometimes I sleep, though. Um, I think that it's, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a supportive family. My husband is 100% behind me, and he um, helps me a great deal. And that's something that that helps a lot. And a lot of these things for me are work, but they're also, also passions of mine. And so, um, but I think that I encourage people, you know, find your balance, like find your moments that, you, you know, to yourself, you know, your time to kind of just get away and, 
and chill and don't be afraid to kind of step back, you know, from things. Like there's so many wonderful things, um, initiatives that I used to be involved in, some of which I've, you know, resigned and, you know, allowed other people to step up and be involved, not because they're any less worthy, they're very important, but because if you stretch yourself too thin, sometimes you won't have enough to give. And so while being active is important, it's also okay to say no. It's also okay to, you know, engage in self-care. It's also, it's okay to turn off that phone and, you know, turn off those notifications and just relax. You have to, you know, because an empty vessel cannot give, it, can, it has nothing to pour. That's right. You got to put on your own face mask Absolutely. first, right? A lot of people want to make a change in the world, but might not be sure how to take those big concepts like diversity and apply them in a practical way. Do you have any actionable tips to help our listeners apply diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging principles in their workplaces and communities today? Yes, and, and it's interesting because it is true. These things can seem very nebulous and it can seem daunting as well. But I, I guess I would encourage people to really look inward because I think that we have more capability to apply these things and to understand these things than we realize. Like every human being has multiple identities and we are all like a hodgepodge of our marginalizations and our privileges. We're not just one or the other. And so if we think about the totality of who we are, times when we've struggled to, you know, or not felt a part of things and what was what worked for us. You know, what did someone do to help make us feel welcome or what would have made us feel welcome? We think about these things that may seem ridiculous, small steps, like, you know, I tell people like imagery, you know, when you're, you know, working on a, a document, a website, you know, going through the stock images and getting diverse images, images that, you know, of people who are of different body types and different races and different ages, um, your wording and terminology, you know, there's so many things that may appear small, but they're, they're not small when, they're, when they add up. And so I would just encourage people to don't be so overwhelmed to where you don't do anything, because I think that's what happens is people have so much ambition, so much they want to do that they feel like they can't get it. And so they just feel stuck. Find something small in your sphere of influence that you can do that matters, that will help someone and just 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 give it a try and you'll mess up, but you'll also get it right. That sounds great. Take those small steps. Amen. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today about the importance of advocating for the inclusion and belonging of neurodivergent people and people with all kinds of differences in the workforce. This has been a terrific conversation and I've learned a lot. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for all that you all are doing with, with you know, this work and just really providing a voice for the community and, you know, highlighting these important issues and these important stories. I'm Laurie Schuster from all of us at SWE. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.